Daniel 5 is a literal instance of predictive handwriting on the wall. And it could not be ignored because what appeared on the wall was written by the hand of God. Now, you've heard that expression, have you not? The handwriting is on the wall. Uh, there would be another, there's another case in the text where it seems like not only is the handwriting on the wall, but the party is over. If you've read Daniel chapter 5. So it is. We're in Daniel 5, and there is a connection, of course. I want to remind you that this seems to be an abrupt beginning to a narrative. When we see Belshazzar, and he's introduced, uh, there's probably 20, 20 to 25 years that have passed chronologically from chapter 4 to chapter 5. Keep that in mind. But there's a connection with chapter 4. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Don't forget that connection as we dive in to chapter 5. Let's read the first four verses, and then we're going to read 5 through 9, and then we're going to read the longest section, 10 through 28, and then at the end I'll read verses 29 and 30. Why? Because what the text says is more important than what I'm going to say about it, right? This is the word of the Lord. The Bible says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. The lesson, thematically, that all of us need to think about in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel is that God sees sinful mockery and rebellion against His glory, and He brings judgment on those who will not repent and bow to His sovereign rule. That's the lesson of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. Now, it's going to take me a little bit longer to unpack all that for you, but this is what uh, Belshazzar learned, and this is what I pray all of us will learn. These are the kind of messages that are heavy on your heart as a preacher. It's the kind of lesson that it may not be the most exciting thing for me to bring this to your attention. But ladies and gentlemen, we need to be very, very careful how we listen. You need to be very careful how you listen. And when God speaks, you better make sure you listen carefully. And God, of course, has spoken. So, again, Daniel doesn't give us strict chronological understanding here. But it's safe to assume by looking at historical writings and following the narrative and the events that have taken place. Extra biblical things that tell us about history that perhaps two decades have passed. It seems that Daniel is kind of placed on the shelf at this time. Uh, let's say that Daniel's in retirement. Any of you Baptists feel that, right? 
perhaps he's on the shelf. He's an aged man at this time. He's no longer a teenager that we were introduced to in chapter 1. It seems at this point that Daniel, again, has been put on the shelf. But God has a way of taking his servants off the shelf and inserting them back into the grand scheme of his sovereign will. So immediately we meet this uh, individual, Belshazzar, with a, lot, with a lot of controversy. I don't want to give you a ton of historical background because it will belabor the point. But Belshazzar, for years, liberal scholars denied that this guy even existed at all. They thought that this was just a made-up individual. So the fact of the matter is, once in the late 19th century, when they began to study cuneiform tablets, and they were mastering that form much and much better, quickly, Belshazzar emerged as a definite historical character. And today, of course, we have an abundance of literature that proves that he actually existed. Nabonidus was his father. Some of you, when you've read history, may say Nabonidus, but that's not the translation. But that man, Nabonidus, was actually his father, and Nabonidus would have been the son of Nebuchadnezzar. So this makes Belshazzar the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the deal about uh, Nabonidus. This guy, as he's made the king after his father, introduces uh, a foreign god to the Babylonians. Can you imagine that? Because they were pantheistic anyway. But he wants them to move away from Marduk, the sun god, and wants them to go to some god, god they call the sin god. <laughs> That's appropriate, right? In translation. So what happens to this guy is the Babylonians get ticked off about that. And so he tries to bring about this kind of move uh, to take them away from the Babylonians' favorite god and insert this other god. He tries to bring it past through legislation policy that is unpopular to the people, and then he runs off to Camp David. <coughs> I mean, he runs off to Saudi Arabia. Really, that's the modern-day place that Nabonidus ends up. And so he's not popular. So what happens is Belshazzar, Belshazzar, whichever way you want to say it, either one's okay, he uh, becomes a defunct kind of second-rate king that takes over while his father is in a place called Tima. So that's how this guy comes to power. Now, you will know that uh, Nabonidus actually ends up marrying uh, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. So he's really a son-in-law. Okay, He marries Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. That's where they think this all pieces together. And of course, that's the queen in the story that's going to come in in a few moments. So that would have actually been his grandmother. Something very interesting found in Jeremiah 27. Let me show you this. I marked it so I could get there before you did, right? Jeremiah 27. Are we tracking correctly and are we right to assume what I've said with Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, and then we're dealing with Belshazzar? The Bible says in verse 6 of Jeremiah, I'm sorry, yes, verse 6 of chapter 27, now, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson. 
until the time of his own land comes. So here we see in the text of Scripture that it confirms uh, the generational lesson of Nebuchadnezzar, son-in-law, and grandson. Okay, is that enough background? Herodotus, uh, the, the great ancient historian, reveals that Babylon was taken during a great feast at night. So that's setting the stage. Historically, uh, there's a, several historians who do this, but what they actually say about the Medo-Persians is they knew Babylon was pretty much impenetrable. I told you you could take four or five chariots side by side and run on top of the wall and turn around on the other end, all do a U-turn and come back the other way. It was a massive complex, to say the least. It was impenetrable, and the Medo-Persians knew it. They also knew there was this drunken feast on that very night. So what do they do? They dry up the Euphrates, they block it off, and they go under the walls in the middle of the night. And so Herodotus actually shares with us that it happened exactly the way the Bible says that it happened. Are you all surprised about that? Really? You shouldn't be. Okay, here we go. Let's dive in. In verses 1 through 5, here's what we need to know applicationally. God sees it when we mock His glory. Do you all see what's taking place here? Uh, The terminology is not strong enough. This is more like a drunken orgy party. I have to tell you, because that's literally in the Hebrew what's going on here. This guy is as low as you possibly could go. As a matter of fact, when it begins saying that he drank wine in front of thousands, that means this, kings rarely ever drank wine in front of their servants. They just didn't do that because various reasons. They had more wisdom than that. But this nutcase is actually doing this in front of thousands. So you've got to heighten the narrative here. What he is doing is not what most kings would actually do. And so he calls for the vessels. And you know it's not going to go well when he does this, right? He calls for the vessels that his grandfather had taken from the temple in Jerusalem Uh, years before in exile. That's the way the book of Daniel actually begins. I hope you recall that. And Daniel's going to repeat this. Repetition in the Bible is important. Did you notice how he repeats golden vessels? He takes these vessels. He does it several times. Why? Because you need to know that these were used for God's holy purposes in his temple. And yet here is Belshazzar mocking the God of the universe. So he's trying perhaps to show a little more moxie than his grandfather. Maybe he's trying to up one his grandfather. So Nebuchadnezzar was supposedly the most awesome king ever. So Belshazzar could like, hey, I'm going to just do one a little greater than my grandpappy. Maybe that was his goal. Let's take these vessels and let's blaspheme the God of Israel. In doing so, we'll display the supremacy of our gods, which they thought were gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That's not much different from the U.S., right? When we start considering what our gods are. So here is this arrogant, brash, second-rate king that's challenging the God of Israel. He's slapping our God in the face. Sinclair Ferguson says at this point, and I quote, Belshazzar's heart was a factory of rebellion against God. Now he cast off all restraint and he showed it. He did not sin in ignorance, but in full knowledge. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. The theological significance for you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is that this act of mocking God and celebrating 
the gods of Babylon, is actually mocking the Lord God. And we actually do this. There's a little more of Belshazzar in our hearts than all of us are ready to admit this morning. Are y'all awake? There is, because we often mock His glory, and we know better. We've heard it. We know the testimonies of those who have gone before us, and yet we mock His glory. And so in the midst of this drinking party, which I could spend a lot of time breaking this down for you, but I'm not going to, filled with blasphemy, drinking the vessels that belong to the temple. Note verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Opposite the lampstand. I believe the lampstand belonged in the temple. So I think the lampstand that is illuminating the wall is actually one of the vessels taken from the temple that he is blaspheming God with. That's just my take on it. And the king saw as the hand wrote it, or the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. (laughs) And his thoughts alarmed him. His hips gave way and his knees knocked together. Kind of like some of our kids up front this morning, right? And tonight, uh, Nathan has asked me, reckon how many folks will show up. I said, it's going to be full tonight, right? (laughs) The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple. And have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Nabonidus, uh, right? Number one, this this kind of clarifies that too for us. Belshazzar, number two, third ruler in the kingdom. Shall be clothed, third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but, (laughs) find this interesting, right? They never can do it. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So God sees it when we mock his glory. But secondly, God confronts our sin. Did y'all know that Belshazzar is kind of out of touch with reality at this point? You know, drunken stupors can cause that, can it not? This kind of revelry, partying, mockery, in the vessels of the Lord, kind of creates that atmosphere. That kind of thing can make you dull, ladies and gentlemen. It actually can make you stupid. Uh, So, in one moment, the king is brought to his senses. (laughs) And you would have been too. Let's imagine what's going on in his heart, in his mind, in his thoughts. Again, I think it's the lamp stand from the tabernacle. It's illuminated with the writing on the wall. And the hand begins to write. Belshazzar, as a gross understatement, has a traumatic response. Any of you guys weak at the stomach? And you don't want to listen at this point. His face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. The NAS and the ESV and the NLT, all of these actually, at this point, give us uh, more elegant thoughts about what's actually going on. But his face grew pale. Uh, The NAS says with elegance, his hip joints went slack and his knees began to knock. I want to remind you that's a euphemism. Uh, It's a euphemism for 
the fact that his loins went loose. If you're not catching on, he became incontinent because of fear. If you still haven't caught on, he lost his bodily functions. If you still are missing the point, he had an accident in his pants. <laughs> Seriously. It's exactly what happens. <laughs> so he's terrified. This is a supernatural, divine occurrence. Folks, God had already spoken enough to Belshazzar. Folks, please track with me, young people. God has said enough to you already, and you're responsible. Everybody in this room, when God speaks through his word and you hear it, you're responsible. Don't forget that. And so, he calls his guild of spiritual gurus. Those guys have been a bust up to this point, have they not? And he offers all of this reward to them. And Daniel, of course, being an eyewitness of all these events, that's why he's writing them. But the gurus, Daniel is over them, of course. He's not called at this point. We suppose he's retired. He's on the shelf, whatever. But the fact is, uh, they can't do it. Perhaps it's because there were no breaks in the words. I'm not sure. But the range of meaning could have been extremely wide. And in Aramaic, all the, word, all the letters were bunched together. So as you were writing that on the wall... There's no doubt that it would have been difficult. But even if they knew it, they weren't going to say anything, right? Because they wanted only good things to be said. All right, verse 10. Here comes the queen. When Daniel knew, so think with me for a moment, the, the fact that God sees our sin when we mock him, he is actually going to confront it, and God is writing it on the wall right before him. The handwriting is on the wall and now he exposes our sin. And here's what the text says. When Daniel knew <coughs> that the document... Had, oh, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong place. Chapter, verse, chapter 6, verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the musicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now, Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel. He probably wants to put down this 80-year-old man a little bit. He reminds him of where he came from. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Dan Daniel answered and said before the king, No, uh, O king, live forever. Like you said for Nebuchadnezzar. There's a difference in the respect here. There's a difference in Daniel's understanding. Let your gifts be for yourself. And give your rewards to another. What does that mean? Dude, you're probably not going to have your kingdom much longer. 
It'd be like putting stock into Blockbuster's video, right? It's going to be here for a moment. It's gone the next. Daniel already knew this. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God. All right, now, isn't it good when uh, you do good biblical exposition? And biblical good exposition is what that text just said, right? I'll give to you the interpretation. That's what a preacher is supposed to do with the Bible, right? That's why it's so important that we preach the Bible. Give the interpretation of what the Scripture says says, furthermore, he's about ready now to preach a sermon to Belshazzar. He's going to tell him what he's done. He's going to expose his sin to him. So here's the sermon. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Who gave him the kingdom, folks? The most high God, right? And because of the greatness that he gave him, all the people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Y'all remember what I just read in Jeremiah? God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to give it to his son and his grandson, whom he would, he killed. And whom he, he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Folks, who's in control? God is. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed with grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Lycanthropy. Remember, we talked about that. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was stricken with for seven periods. He lived like an animal. You remember? Uh, fingernails like the claws of an eagle. This was his condition. Verse 22. And you, his son, sermon's not over, right? Belshazzar have not humbled your heart. Check this out, young people. Though you knew all this. When God speaks, it's enough. Belshazzar, you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. I don't know about you, but it, that nearly takes my breath away to say that. You knew all this, and you have lifted up your heart against the King of Heaven. And the vessels of His house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. In other words, who sent the writing on the wall? Then from his presence. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tikiel, farson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, which would be a plural form of, of broken and divided. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Wow. So the queen mother comes in. Let's go over a couple of things. Uh, she was most likely Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. 
and his mother. There's dignity in her appearance. There's good counsel. Uh, scholars detect uh, disapproval from her regarding her son's actions. Any mom ever come in and, and gave a, a pep talk to the son or a daughter? Not approving of the actions. And so as she discusses, she begins to talk about Daniel and his grandfather's reign. And it's almost like she was saying the same thing Daniel did. You should have known this. Just think back with me. You know, it's not a trait among the young to only listen to their... Is it not a trait among the young to only listen to their peers and disregard their elders? Well, my buddy said this. I mean, I'd just rather hang out with my drinking buddies. We're friends. We, we hang out together. And Mom and Dad all the while are saying, you better listen to God. You better listen to the Scripture. No, I, I think I'd rather listen to my peers. I think I'd rather listen to the young people and see what they have to say. It reminds me of Rehoboam. Y'all know the story? After Solomon dies, the older men who have served come to Rehoboam, and they give him some counsel. They said, you need to lighten the load on the people. And if you lighten the load, they'll serve you gladly. Listen to the people, please. Then Rehoboam goes to the really wise people of his kingdom, which is his peers that he grew up with. They play football in the backyard together, right? These are the boys that he played baseball with. Uh, these are the ones just as dumb and foolish as he is, right? What do those guys say? You tell them that your father whipped you with whips, but we about to beat you with scorpion tails. Just tell them to get back to work. Boy, that was bad advice. Terrible advice. This was a gigantic mistake. So here is Belshazzar. And part of the indictment is he should have known better. And his mom reminds him of this. So Daniel uh, was actually appointed chief over these gurus who didn't know anything, right? I love this part. And Daniel is his name. Uh, they still didn't forget his Hebrew name of God, even to this point in chapter 5 when he's probably 80 years old. Isn't that awesome? The identification of the man of God is brought forward. Uh, notice how confident she is about this man. I, I know that she knows he's humble, that he has an excellent spirit in him, that he was brought out as an exile, and he has confidence. She has confidence that Daniel can interpret. Now in verse 17, Daniel answers him. Daniel comes before I'm cutting to the chase, getting on in, right? Again, Daniel's like, hey, give me the gifts, but I don't need them. It's not going to be worth anything. And what's actually missing here? There's no, O king, live forever. It's just uh, keep your junk for yourself, and I'll read the interpretation. That's really what's going on. So before Daniel reads what's on the wall, he gives this history lesson again. The Most High God, the one above you, granted your father his kingship, his greatness, his glory, his majesty. The God of heaven gave him this kingdom he has. Nebuchadnezzar seemed to have absolute sovereignty, right? He had all power. Yet the fundamental problem with Nebuchadnezzar is the same one that Belshazzar had, and that's the pride, right? That's arrogance that he highlights. And so, let me remind you, Daniel says, that in case you've forgotten... But you ought to know these things, that your grandfather turned and began to walk in pride, to bask in his own glory. But he's reminding Belshazzar that there's a God in heaven who rules all things. 
And God is able to put down those who walk in pride. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar's life. Notice the last part of verse 21. Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Mm. God does that, folks. God did to him what he richly deserved. Until the point where Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes toward heaven and understood who God was. Right? And he put his absolute trust in him. Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, actually learned the lesson. Belshazzar, he learned the lesson. He acknowledged that the Most High God, that He is sovereign, and that His kingdom is of everlasting end. No end to it. So He is a ruler of the kings of the earth. God is sovereign. He grants to whomever He wills and takes from whomever He wills. He uh, snuffs out those and raises up others. Y'all see that in the text when we read it? Do I need to read it again? So in verse 22, he gives the indictment. You have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all this, you have not humbled your heart. Now, I remind you that the earlier picture of Daniel standing before King Nebuchadnezzar as a young boy was pretty awesome, wasn't it? It's stirring to think that a, say, 18 to 25-year-old guy would have that kind of moxie and, and love for Christ that he would stand right in front of this king and not bat an eye. It's stirring. But it's no less stirring that an 80-year-old man, gray and wrinkled, stands before a young, arrogant, second-rate king and says, you knew these things. May God give us that kind of spirit of boldness, right? That Daniel had as a young person and that Daniel had as a, say, 80-year-old. You're treating our God with contempt. And what's written between the lines? Much worse than your grandfather did. Right? The God that did this to your grandfather is the one you're mocking. Mm. And you're fooling with these false gods that can't save you because they ain't, can't hear. They can't do anything. And you're worshiping false gods that do not exist. Daniel makes it abundantly clear. You should have known better. You should have bowed your heart to the God of your grandfather. Now, we, uh, we talked about, did Nebuchadnezzar come to know the Lord? Well, I told you I was about 75, 25, right? In reading this, I'm probably 80, 20. Some of you didn't listen last week. I've moved to 80, 20 after reading the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says he bowed his heart. He bowed his knee. So I'm 80, 20 that Nebuchadnezzar was Christ transformed. And boldly without apology, Daniel indicts him on the crime of cosmic treason. Okay, this is what he says. He repeats the first one twice. I mean, whether you know much about the Bible or not, some of, most of you have probably... You, this is a popular text of Scripture. Handwriting on the wall. Mine, mine, TK, you'll farce. Right? We, we, we hear that. We, we're like, what does that mean? Right? Well, the actual words have to do with weight. And some scholars will remind us that when you get to Revelation 18 and we see the wicked power of uh, the economic system or, or the evil system against God is called Babylon. You ever read the Bible? Hello. Have you opened up the Bible? Revelation 18, right? Where there's this, uh, I think it's interesting that there's uh, economic language somewhat given in chapter 18 of Revelation. But also here, uh, these are measurements. It's almost like shekel, shekel, half a shekel, you're done, right? 
That's kind of what's going on here. Mine, mine, tikel, farsen. All three words are actually words that have to do with weights. So he gives a dual interpretation on what those words mean. It's actually a play on words in interpretation. Mine is a weight of money that has been counted, 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 paid out, paid out. He repeats it twice. Tikel is an Aramaic term for shekel. It means to weigh out and find light. And the last one, parson, is different from Perez because it goes into the singular form. And he does it for a reason. It's a half of a mine. Okay? So it's broken in two. Uh, some believe it's also a play on words that's close to Persia. Medo-Persians. So notice what the interpretation is. Verse 26. This is the interpretation the matter. God has numbered the days of your kingdom, brought it to an end. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. That's the interpretation of what went on. Now notice what the, of the interpretation uh, after it's over. Look at the text. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Does anybody know who he is? It's another name for Cyrus. Exactly what the Word of God said in Jeremiah and Isaiah would happen. That Cyrus would be ruling and God will take a pagan king like Cyrus, move his heart, and let the Israelites go back to build the wall around Jerusalem. Wow, God does that. Isn't it fascinating to read the Word of God and learn? So here's what we see. God sees, God confronts, God exposes our sins. And catch this. And then God deals with our sins of unrepentance with appropriate judgment. Daniel 5 concludes with those two verses. No grand explanations. Found here. It concludes with the facts. That very night he was slain. Kind of reminds me of the rich fool in Luke 2 who thought he could store up all of his riches so he could eat and drink and be merry for years to come. God says, you fool, tonight your very soul will be required of you. Proverbs 6.15 says, therefore calamity will come upon you suddenly. In a moment he will, you will be broken beyond healing. Folks, are y'all listening? Because God is speaking through His Word. Hear that again. Therefore, therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. That was Belshazzar, wasn't it? Let me put this in your mind at this point. Let me give you some application. Just a couple of things I want you to think about. I certainly want you to think about God, you mocking the Lord with sin, and Him confronting and exposing and, and, and really giving judgment that's deserving to us. All of us. Is that not true? Yeah, it is. Here's something else I want you to think about. In Daniel 1 through 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, no question about it, gets a lot more chances than Belshazzar. Would y'all not agree? Nebuchadnezzar had a whole lot more dealings with the God of heaven. Belshazzar has this inscription on the wall, and that very night a new king is in place. 
and his name is Cyrus. He was 62 years old. And the Bible calls him Darius the Mede. Incidentally, 150 years before this event, Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings. King Cyrus would become the ruler. And he again, he would issue that decree to let them go back to their homeland. Well, the story of Belshazzar should get our attention. He didn't get the same opportunities that Nebuchadnezzar received. He didn't get as many chances. We all need to take, uh, get a grip on this, this very morning to this very reality. The God of heaven owes us absolutely nothing. Hope you understand that, folks. He shows mercy on whom he will show mercy, and he hardens whom he will harden. Romans 9. He did not treat Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar equally. It is clear from the word of God. He got one opportunity to listen to God and he didn't. And God killed him. That's strong, isn't it? Yet, what he did do was to give Belshazzar an example. And a testimony through his grandfather's life. He had the words of his grandfather and the testimony of his grandfather and the example of his grandfather. He knew Daniel's God. Here's something else we need to come to grips with. Nebuchadnezzar's words and testimony to Belshazzar were enough. This is something that has grieved my heart this week as a pastor. Some of you young people are just not getting it. You're just not getting it. And you you wonder... Uh, when's the next handwriting on the wall? You, you think about the young people that have come through FBCO through the years and uh, Zach's age and other people's age and you look around and they're AWOL. They're gone. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe any of those kids, any of those parents. He owes you nothing. If you've ever had an opportunity to sit under the Word of God and God has spoken to you clearly, He has given you enough. Folks, we need to think about this. We need, to, we need to stop long enough to pump the brakes. Whether it's education, whether it's activities, whether it's your sports that end up being a God. Whatever these things might be, you better pump the brakes. And you better remind your kids that enough has been said to you for you to be accountable to the God of heaven. And he owes you absolutely nothing. You better listen to me. You better listen closely to what I'm saying. Because when God speaks through His Word and He gives us something like Daniel chapter 5, we need to thank God that He gives us a warning. That we can look back and say, Wow, Belshazzar's grandfather, God just took him by the neck and stuck his face in the ground so that he would know that the God of heaven rules. And just two generations removed, here is a drunken stupor drinking vessels, worshiping false gods. Folks, do y'all know how serious this is? For God to speak and we just turn a deaf ear. For us to even consider and stop saying, I just don't know if God exists or not. Oh, you better wake up. Oh, you better wake up. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for God to take you by your neck and push you down to the ground in order for you to look up and figure out that the God of heaven reigns? That the God of heaven rules. At some point, maybe even this night, Belshazzar crossed the line. He had heard and he had seen. Daniel said, you should have known these things. 
Once he crossed that line, he took his life and his soul. We shouldn't read that and say, oh, he got what was coming to him. Oh, what if you got what was coming to you, folks? What, were it not for grace that reached us, this would have been you. Everybody in this room. Please make no mistake about it. There's not a single solitary hint that Belshazzar repented like his grandfather in chapter 4. This should get all of our attention. Why? Because there are people in this very room right now who've heard the words of testimonies from the people of God and you've heard the word of God preached. Many of you have been raised in Christian homes. Perhaps you're a young person. Maybe you're a full-grown adult. doesn't matter. You've been taught the scriptures. Your parents have also lived an example before you of godliness. The fact is God has taught you and showed you enough. It's enough for you to be a follower of the king. It's enough for you to dedicate your life to the only God who exists. Amen? It's enough for you to desire to serve him. It's enough for you to spend your entire life living for God, living for His Son. It's enough, on the flip side, for Him to condemn you. God is not obligated to tell you one more thing. He's not obligated, young people, to give you one more example. He's not obligated to give you one more day. Y'all did read the text, right? Our God can raise up and He can kill. That's what the text says. Whomever he wills. Can't argue with it. Unless you say the Bible's not truth. But I'm here to tell you today that it is. I wouldn't be preaching here if it wasn't. I'd be laying on the beach down in Gulf Shores. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. But God does exist. And he does rule the affairs of man. Please don't despise the kindness of the Lord this morning. It was kindness that you were able to hear this sermon. You think, well, that preacher, fire and brimstone. No, I just taught you what the Bible says. But the fact of the matter is, just flip that around. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Aren't you thankful that that God Almighty brought you here this morning so you could hear this? So you would turn to Him and repent. You never know, young person, when you actually end up crossing that line in which there's no return. You have to acknowledge that God put you in a Christian home. You have to acknowledge, some of you, that God even picked you up from a foreign country and picked you in a home. Some of you are here today that exchange students and people, oh, it's amazing that God will pick people up and bring them so they can hear the gospel, so they can hear the truth of our God. It's enough for you to know Him and to live for Him. This is wisdom, right? It's like the Proverbs. Do we really want to trifle with a God that has this much power? I'm pleading with you folks, right? Do we really want to? You never know when your soul will be required of you. And you'll be given an account before the Lord God where much is required. You don't know where that line is. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Behold, today is the day. Turn to Christ now before it's everlastingly too late. Even now cry out to Him because He is a faithful and He is a merciful high priest. This is not just true to to young people. What about the older person? Maybe you've trifled with God your entire life. You may have given Him lip service. But God's not in control of your life because you're not allowing Him to be. Even tonight, your very soul could be required of you. Mm. You may not get three score and ten. 
Y'all read that in Psalm 90? Man is given three score and ten by measure of strength, 80. That's to say anything over 80 is certainly gravy. Right? For, most, for a lot of our folks back there that are over 90, good night. We got a lot of folks in our church that are 90 plus. That's a blessing from God. You may not get that. We may not, right? <sighs> right now, I want to have fun. Young people say that. I want to live it up. I want to do my thing. And then uh, maybe one of these days I'll repent. Right now, it's just too hard to do. I want to have my life. I want to do my thing. How do you know that that perpetual rebellion will not continue of hardening unbelief for the rest of your days? Mm. Belshazzar stands as a monument for all of us this morning to remind us that whatever God has given you to this point is a matter of pure grace. Please hear that today. It's a matter of pure grace that you've heard the testimonies of Scripture, heard the Word preached. Don't ever think that you can keep living the way you live, and at some point you're going to turn. It won't happen. Better listen to the Lord. I'm sure there are people in this room who live like Belshazzar, and God broke you and got your attention, and you bowed your knee to the king, and you wouldn't have it any other way. Aren't you thankful? When God subdues our hearts, and we bow before him, you bowed your knee to the king, and he washed your sins away. Hallelujah for salvation. And today you are a glad, loyal follower of the king. Some would gladly testify to a younger people that you wasted younger years. Where's Brother Bill? You back there? Wouldn't you say that, brother? You just, you, boy, it's a good, I know God is sovereign. Boy, isn't it great to come to Jesus when you're young and spend all your days living for him? Isn't it? Yes. Praise the Lord. Young people, I'll tell you this, you're not missing anything this world has to offer. It ain't worth it. I'm just telling you, it's not worth it. Jesus is so much more valuable than anything this world has to offer. Right? He is. The devil doesn't have anything to offer you except the fleeting pleasures of sin and an eternity in hell. That's what he offers. Today might be your handwriting on the wall. For some of you, you're saying, oh Lord, I hear you clearly. Do you know, I'm closing with this, and some of you are glad I am. Do you know that Daniel ends up being the wisdom of God to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar? God sent him there to give wisdom, to speak. And in a sense, he was a mediator between God and man. Let's ratchet this up a little bit. Where's the Christocentric link to Daniel 5? It's the fact that there is only one mediator between God and man. And he is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And the Bible tells us that he is the very wisdom from God. The Bible says in Colossians 2.3 that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. So here's the lesson. You better listen to Jesus. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father except through me. Father God, help us. God, help our church. God, help our young people. Lord, we need you this hour. Lord, I know we've got hurting parents. Uh, and there are more hurting parents as the days go by all over the world. God, would you raise up a generation of young people who have not forgotten you. God, our altars ought to be filled today. 
Belshazzar should have known it. He heard it. And yet he walked in arrogance. Ignorance. Defaming your holy name. Mocking you. And that very night judgment came and it was appropriate. Lord, we all deserve your judgment. But we are so thankful for Jesus. That in him... We did not get what we deserved. But we got forgiveness. God, thank you for it. Lord, help us to the invitation to respond to your spirit, Lord. Uh, to listen. When's the last time it's going to be enough? When's the last time you're going to shout to us? Clearly. Handwriting may already be on the wall. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.